politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, patriots, fellow American taxpayers and peaceful law abiding citizens to the Conservative Review podcast here at the end of the week on Friday. We are always thankful for Fridays and uh, things looked like they were actually uh, winding down yesterday and then tons of stuff broke overnight. And I'm working on a lot of different stories related to national security tying together what's important, what's not important in Syria, Turkey, Mexico, the cartels, um, crime, Soros trying to buy district attorney races. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of material we're going to have on the courts with oral arguments and all these important cases every day proving our thesis that we can't rely on Gorsuch and Kavanaugh to reverse even recent bad trends in the courts much less uh you know long-standing bad precedent the common denominator just kind of clogging my mind with all this stuff is that we have half measures zero vision and discombobulated results trump is trump he's got his flaws and he has his strong points Absent leadership, he's going to waffle and waver, do a little bit of good with a little bit of bad, do some good tethered with bad messaging. Um, His opponents will oppose whatever he does for their reasons, simply because orange man bad. People who dogmatically support just his personality, not a specific agenda, will automatically defend everything he says and does. And we're left without a vision. It's truly astounding how no one's giving a vision on a broader context of national security. I think one of the things I'm proud of here is how we've tied together domestic security, domestic crime with illegal immigration, drugs, gangs, cartels, terrorism, kind of put it together. What is a threat? What's not a threat? How each one is a threat? How many of these issues all tie together? And what are the proper tools through policy to address each each one? I, I will stand before you, you know, very clearly today and say I am by no means an expert in most of these issues. And I'm learning with you every day about some of these issues. And I wish I knew more. I wish I could learn more. I wish I can give over more. But at least we try here. What I find astounding is that there's just there's just no vision. So You know, I meant to talk about Turkey and Syria today and why it's not as important as as people think, but I do think the president is making some mistakes. But then all hell breaks loose in Mexico. And, And that should really be what we all care about. But yet, nobody even cares. The same people who believe that we need a permanent military presence on Turkey's border. Somehow they don't see a need to deploy our military to combat the cartels at our border when the cartels have operatives in not just at the border, which is bad enough, but in all 50 states. Killing tens of thousands of people with drugs, but not just drugs, fomenting so much of the transnational gang and crime Violence that we have in all our communities that we view as domestic violence. But really, when you dig deeper, it's the source of it is in Mexico. So, 
again, I just want to reiterate on what's going on in Syria. In my view, everyone is wrong because everyone is looking at this two one dimensionally. There's 10 different elements and everyone's looking at it as a binary. So now it's being reduced to a battle between the Turks and the Kurds, which is ridiculous because at its core, the Syrian civil war is Assad backed by Iran and Hezbollah somewhat in a funny way, but backed by Russia versus the Sunni insurgency. What that has done is it's created opportunities and challenges for the Turks and the Kurds. And that's part of it. But now it's suddenly, well, do you support the Turks or the Kurds? But that, that's not the issue. That's not the issue here. So I believe everyone's wrong. On the one hand, you have the media and the Democrats that are just like, whatever Trump's doing, they'll do the opposite. So they're all of a sudden so gung-ho against Erdogan and so pro-Kurd, the exact opposite of what they were under Obama and really, you know, forever. So there's no honesty there. Then you have Mitt Romney that gives a blood, sweat, and tears speech on the floor. I mean, doesn't feel um, passionate about anything related to our security, immigration, homeland security, crime, nothing. The Kurds, the Kurds, we owe it. We have blood on our hands. The Kur we, we owe it to them. And, you know, nobody is giving a vision of what we should do. Romney, Rubio, all the neocons, all the establishment Republicans, they bash Obama and they bash Trump now, but they never say what we should be doing. Okay, so we have troops there. How do you somehow they, they truncate Iran, Hezbollah, Russia, Turkey, and the Sunni insurgency, ISIS, whatever it is, all into one thing. And it's like, we're either there and somehow we're fighting all of them at the same time and winning them as if they're all on the same side, or we're out and we're empowering them all together to beat us up and the Kurds. And it's not true. So as we said, foundationally, we agree that, you know, we caused more harm than good being in Syria. But with that said, I can't defend everything Trump is saying and doing too. Independently, he has been weak on Erdogan. I, I've been saying this since 2017. It's bothered me. Um, he praises Erdogan. Um, he says the PKK is worse than than ISIS. I mean, look, I don't. I'll be the first to tell you, I don't believe in, in, in the Romney folks that we owe it to the Kurds. But I mean, the PKK doesn't they're not going to hurt us. Um, they'll hurt the Turks. Um, I would actually tweak what Trump said. I, I disagree with everyone. I think Erdogan is a bigger threat than even ISIS. Um, but again, not a threat that we need to counter in a proxy five-way civil war in Syria. It's the piece I um, put out yesterday, which we'll put it in, in show notes today, on he's spreading his poison on our shores. He's funding mosques and the Muslim Brotherhood on our shores. If I were Trump, I would designate the Muslim Brotherhood as, as terrorists. I would issue sanctions on Turkey in terms of what they could fund on our soil and dare the Democrats to vote no. Instead, he's kissing up to them. And then there's the ceasefire, which is not really much of a ceasefire. Now, again, if you want to argue that we have no business there, I, I respect that because I basically agree with that. But if you want to say, oh, we're protecting the Kurds with the ceasefire, it's not true. Because 
we're not just handing the Kurds the area in the West, which is very Sunni, and it's really unsustainable for the Kurds to hold that. It's north-south. It's a north-south buffer zone all across the north, even in the eastern, the northeastern corner of Syria, which is 100% Kurdish. So we're basically like handing that over. That Turkey never had that. Um, again, I, I don't think we need to... I, I think we need to combat Turkey with soft power, kick them out of NATO. This is stuff we need to do anyway, and that, that's what will keep them in check. And then we won't have to have soldiers there which, as I've long said, is helping Russia and Iran and Hezbollah from the Sunni insurgency. So everyone is wrong there. But the broader issue here is this. If Romney believes that we have a moral obligation to deal with the Kurds, what about Mexico? Our number one trading partner became a failed narco state where you have the most violent terrorists. I mean, beheadings, butchering. Not in Syria, on our border. Many of you might have heard this, but last night, first following an incident earlier this um, week when the um, CJNG cartel butchered 14 Mexican police in an ambush, um, Last late yesterday afternoon, last night in uh, Culiacan, Mexico, that's like the capital of the Sinaloa province, a couple mile, a couple hundred miles south of uh, the New Mexico uh, Arizona border. This is not a tiny outpost. This is a city of seven hundred eighty-five thousand people. Um, the Mexicans went in there for an operation to get El Chapo's son. And it turns out, Washington Post is reporting, I'm hearing from my sources as well, that DA was very heavily involved in this, and he was going to be extradited to the U.S. So this was for us. Sinaloa came in there with 50 cal machine guns, all sorts of weaponry. And they surrounded the area where the Mexican military were. They kicked them out of the toll booths. There's actually videos you could see of them. Um, we'll post some videos here that you could see on Twitter of them just basically pushing them over and they kicked them out of a large city. So, I mean, our number one trading partner doesn't have control. The Sinaloa cartel kicked them out of that city. That's a very big problem. Over 40,000 people will die in Mexico this year. I'm just saying... If you notice with Romney and Rubio and all these establishment Republicans, you're always allowed to care about the security and well-being of other people. But it's never about us or even about Mexicans because it will implicate the open borders agenda. Now, why should we care? We should care because, first of all, the cartels aren't just a Mexico problem, which Again, I mean, it's a valid question to ask, well, why should we care? But first off, if you're going to care about Syria, I mean, dude, this is right on our border. These are the same people shooting 50 cal machine gun fire at our border agents in Fronton, Texas. These are the same people that have operatives in all 50 states killing tens of thousands of people with drugs, but also with the violence in the streets. You have MS-13 is now training with them. And all of the transnational cartels, the Mexican mafia, um, Serranos, uh, 18th Street Gang, all, all these types, Latin Kings, 
they are distributors for the cartels. And that's what's fueling so much of the, of the violence in our cities. And by the way, I don't know if we have time to get to it. I do want to do a series on this. The, um, we've, we've discussed so many aspects of, of crime, legal immigration, drugs, gangs, cartels. We just started to discuss this, but I want to discuss this more. Homelessness is a big part of that. Why is that suddenly exploding around the same time as all this? A lot of it has to do with the same stuff. Legal immigration, crime, jailbreak, all these progressive DAs in the cities um, that are being elected by Soros. And, uh, and they're all on drugs. And that's what's putting them out in the streets. It's not an affordable housing problem, as the left would say. It's a crime, drug, somewhat of a mental illness problem. Um, and, dude, I mean, this affects us more than anything in the Middle East. This is in all of our communities. Remember, whether we like it or not, there are tens of millions of Mexicans in this country or people of Mexican ancestry. It's, it's the largest demographic. I mean, it's, it's the largest ethnicity in this country. Um, pretty much. I, I mean, I, I, I guess people of German descent are still um, slightly more numerous, but that's getting pretty close. Um, but most of those, you know, I've been here for many, 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 many years, and they don't really identify as such. So it's not like the Germans could infiltrate through these communities, whereas with the Mexicans, there are plenty of communities where they could and, and they do ensconce themselves in. So, you know, that is their conduit into our country. We need to care about what the cartels are doing a lot more than than, you know, the, the five way civil war in Syria. Which, again, everyone's getting wrong. Jump into a septic tank with snakes, scorpions, sharks, piranhas. And, and killer whales, and we're like, well, the piranhas and the snakes are fighting each other. I support the snakes over the piranhas. Well, meanwhile, you're getting bitten by three others, and you're empowering. I mean, like, that's what they don't understand. No one's looking at it broader. But of course, nobody is understanding the significance of what happened here. Um, a friend of mine tells me that what he's hearing is that the cartel started going house to house in the military barracks to kidnap family members told hostage hostages amlo couldn't take it and released ovidio who's the son of um el chapo unfortunately shows how little territory the government actually controls in mexico this will just embolden the cartels consider considerably yet nobody in congress except for chip roy maybe nobody in congress and certainly the ones obsessing over syria Nobody in state, nobody at, at DOD views Mexico and the Mexican cartels and their open border as a national security crisis. Then there's the other aspect of this. The other aspect of this, which is very dangerous. And that is why, why we should care a lot more. Um, if there is a migration crisis, as a result of Syria, another migration wave, it's going to be whose problem? It's going to be Europe's problem. But with Mexico, whose problem is it? It's our problem. We talked a lot about the seesaw last couple of weeks, how, you know, because of the policies they finally listened to us and put in place, the Central American migration has been deterred. 
but we noted that there's now it's like a seesaw. There's some other extracontinental migrants like the Chinese that are increasing. But we also noted that the next shoe to drop, if we don't deal with the cartels and we don't aggressively deploy our military at our border, is Mexicans. And I started to see signs <clears throat> that Mexican migration is going up. Not tremendously, but again, it's those first stages you want to watch until it becomes a whole wave. So, you know, the story of most of our history of illegal immigration was Mexico. Last decade, it trickled off, and then the Central Americans started coming. We finally deterred Central Americans. Well, with all this cartel violence, we're going to have this. And let me tell you, on the face of it, they're going to have more legitimate claims than the Central Americans did. And remember, the policies they put in place with third country agreements or you have to um, declare in the first safe country, well, <laughs> it applies to everyone except for Mexico. There's nowhere else to go, right? America is the first country. Washington Post reports today, a sudden increase in the number of Mexican families and asylum seekers trying to cross into the United States has raised fears of, new, of a new border crisis, frustrating DHS officials who are unable to deter Mexican nationals with the same restrictive immigration policies designed to keep Central Americans out of the country. Mexico surpassed Guatemala and Honduras in August to again become the single largest source of unauthorized migration in the U.S. Now, let me just say, that in itself is a little misleading because that's, that doesn't show that Mexico went up. It's because Central America went down. So, you know, they become the, um, the biggest thing again. But they go on to say that in recent weeks, thousands of Mexican adults and children have been camping out in, in, uh, along the U.S. Uh, border crossing, sleeping in tents while awaiting a chance to apply for safe refuge. Most concerning to U.S. authorities is the percentage of Mexicans declaring a fear of persecution or harm, a claim that typically prevents the rapid deportation. Their requests for asylum are adding to the backlog of, of nearly a million pending cases. Um, neither the government of Mexico nor the Trump administration has publicly acknowledged a sudden change, a trend that threatens to shatter the fragile detente between um, the U.S. president and Mexico's leader, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Um, the number of Mexican adults arrested along the border jumped by about 25% from the end of July to the end of September, a period when migration from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador continued to decline. Um, I asked an agent friend of mine who, um, who is in you know, the hotspot of the Rio Grande Valley, and he confirmed that for me. Now, one agent I spoke to was a little like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, the numbers went down. It's just because of, you know, the Central Americans um, went down. So the share of the pie that the Mexicans comprise grew. That is true, but I, I, I did see in the numbers, if you look, the single adults from Mexico have gone up um, the last couple of months. That is true. So this other agent friend of mine said, where is this? I'll just read you his note. Um, what they are doing is getting an official document that has been notarized, which describes their harsh living conditions and threats of safety from the cartels and their corrupt government. Um, so...
folks, this is a problem. But like, what's interesting is you don't hear a word from Mitt Romney. You, you, you don't hear blood, sweat, and toil. Now, you think, okay, Daniel, well, if your thesis is correct, fine, you can't mention it because you're not allowed to care about Americans, but don't you want a virtue signal on behalf of the Mexicans? Saying, if you could virtue signal on behalf of the Ukrainians and you know this group of Muslims persecuted by that group of Muslims or the Kurds, the PKK, well, why wouldn't Romney want to... Um, virtue signal over over mexicans well number one these people are it's not just the values issues they're intellectually uninformed and dumb so if the media doesn't talk about it incessantly they don't know about it so they don't you know they only know what the media tells them to know um that you know again republicans have no vision of their own they only focus on what the media tells them to focus on it's true of every issue so they, so they, they frankly don't know anything about what's going on in mexico but moreover the reason is because the, the problem is it would implicate the open borders agenda. See, if we have a crisis on par with Syria, but right at our own border, that would require us to deploy our military there and to shut our border and to do a 212F shutoff um, to stop this. But no, 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 no. You got to keep the illegal alien gravy train running for Mitt Romney's donors, for the Democrat donors, for the establishment Republican donors, which are the same, really. And that's why they don't do anything about it. That's why the, uh, the modus operandi of the political class for years has been see no evil, hear no evil. Remember, 40 to 45,000 Mexicans will die this year as a result of the violence. It's probably more than in Syria. Um, it's more than in Afghanistan. Right on our border. I mean, we, we've had Jason Jones and... Colonel Dan on the show talking about how you could hear 50 cal machine gun fire right in Roma, Texas, right across that river. You could have stray bullets come into this country. And indeed, we've had a couple of incidents where they directly shoot at our border agents. See no evil, hear no evil. You know, it's interesting. The other senator from Utah, I mean, and this is what we have from a state like Utah, Mike Lee. So yesterday he was out there, you know, Again, voting to override the president's veto on the uh, emergency at the border and using DOD funding for a border wall. And he was out there all over on Twitter. Um, you could see his tweet here. Like, it's like a national security emergency to pass that bill. He's the end the discrimination against Indians. Are you kidding me? We have more immigration from India than any other country except for China and Mexico. And it's not enough? Are you kidding me? Under his bill, they're going to monopolize. They're going to get 90% of all of the employment green cards for the next 10 years. And we, we talked about that bill a couple days ago. This is what he's into. So there's your answer, folks. The same reason people like Mitt Romney and Mike Lee never, ever talk about the cartels, designating them, them as terrorists, having our military at our border, shutting down our border. I don't mean the point, points of entry, but asylum requests until we deal with the cartel violence. Designating MS-13 as a terrorist group, going after sanctuaries that harbor the cartels and the transnational gangs. Why don't they ever talk about that? Well, here's your answer. The emergency is not the violence in Mexico and on our side of the border. The emergency is more tech visas 
for entry-level computer jobs. That is their emergency. That's what people like Mike Lee care about when he's not caring about letting out more violent drug traffickers from prison. This is what we have as Republicans. So we have no cogent vision on Syria or Turkey, no cogent vision on Mexico and the cartels, no cogent vision on homeland security, no vision on crime. And we're left with these half measures. Trump sometimes wants to do the right thing, doesn't have the backing for it, doesn't understand it. Everyone else is attacking him for the wrong reasons. And we're left with, with a guy like me, a 30-something guy, left trying to plow a path of leadership on these issues. I don't mean to brag about it. I don't see anyone else doing this. And there's so much more to learn about these issues. But that's the problem with these half measures. The president is just all over the map on these issues. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about with this, you know, talking about crime and homelessness and why this is suddenly happening. Um, there's an election coming up. And I don't mean the 2020 presidential election. I mean, that's that's obviously farther away. I mean the 2019 off-year elections. Now, you might think I'm referring to, um, you know, the governor's elections, right? Um, but no. No. There's, there's two, I think, two, two governor's elections. But a bunch of states, this is from the appeal. It's a radical, um, like, abolished prison group. But the point is, they're focusing on it. There's no conservative website that has a primer on district attorney elections. But in many ways, these will affect your quality of life in so many cities more than the presidential election. Soros is flooding county DA elections with a million dollars a pop to let the foxes guard the hen house, to have like public defender types become prosecutors. These are all of the people that are reversing the broken windows policing. So they're not locking up violent people, but they're also they're not enforcing the urinating in public, all of the like the camping out in public that's led to the homelessness. The reason why we have the homelessness the last few years is because of jailbreak. Nobody's connecting those dots. We saw it with Giuliani in the reverse direction when we moved away from it. It worked. But if you don't prosecute it, you get more of it. And then you get the violent crime. A lot of the violent crime is from some of the homeless. Some are mentally ill. Um, a lot of it ties it back into drugs. But it's mainly, you, you have elections in Mississippi and Louisiana. But then it's mainly clustered in the Northeast. Um, this is from the appeal. And you can see here the map that they have here. Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York. These are very important things. They're going to decide 287G issues, sanctuary issues, jailbreak issues. You know, in one of my articles, I quoted, um, what do you call it? I quoted this uh, DA in Monroe County at Syracuse um, or, or uh, Rochester, New York. And, you know, she was good. She was talking about the danger of jailbreak, and she's the current prosecutor from there. 
And guess what? She is now a target of Soros. This is really dangerous. Really, really dangerous. This is from Bob Lunsbury. Friend of mine, Shannon Joy, who is a talk radio show host up there. Um, her fellow host at, at WHAM Radio, Bob Lunsbury. George Soros' agenda is not anti-law enforcement. It is anti-public safety. It's not about what he wants to do to the cops. It's about what he wants to do to you. He wants to destroy America and lawlessness is one way to do it. A vote for a Soros candidate is a vote for criminals. And it's a very important thing. A lot of people are focusing on the cops and law enforcement. It, it, it's, it's your quality of life. To put it in perspective, George Soros has spent more than one and a half times as much money trying to influence the Monroe County DA's race as both county executive candidates have spent on their campaigns combined. And they're trying to defeat Sandra um, Dorley. Maybe we'll try to get her on the show. Um, this, is, this is a big deal. This is very important. And yet we have the American Conservative Union saying it's a moral issue for us to support Soros. Not only aren't Republicans on the field combating this, they support it. They're giving tailwinds to it. They're giving moral and intellectual support to it. It is so dangerous, this jailbreak agenda, especially when you mix it with the cartels and the drug crisis and sanctuaries and the open borders. It all mixes together. This is the most dangerous times to live in, to be doing this type of stuff. It is so, so dangerous. Man, is this dangerous. Remember, Soros bought the Philadelphia DA, Larry Krasner. The federal prosecutors are warning about what's going on because, you know, the federal prosecutors are appointed by the administration. Um, the local ones are elected. And um, remember, I mean, how much money do you spend in a DA race? $100,000, $200,000? Well, if your opponent comes in there with, you know, a million dollars and they don't run ads and say, we're going to abolish prison, and let everyone out of jail and say, you know, we're going to more effectively, you know, we're focusing on dumb crimes. We're going to put those resources to getting the real bad guys off the streets. That's how that's the ads they run. The average person's like, you know, that's all they hear and they vote for that. It's working everywhere. There's something wrong that I'm one of the only ones warning about this. But thank you, Shannon Joy, for uh, you know, apprising me of what's going on in, in Monroe County. Um, but you can see here from the appeal, this left-wing we website dedicated to abolishing prison, there's approximately 500 um, you know, prosecutors and sheriffs that will be elected just in 2019, just in an off year. <laughs> so... Um, this is very, very scary. Very, very, very scary. And um, definitely something we're going to be focusing on in the coming days. And just before we go on, I do want to mention that I, I have one candidate I do want you guys to support. Her name is Sandra Dorley. We're going to put up on the screen here so you could see Sandra Dorley's campaign and you could donate to her. She is the Monroe County uh, District Attorney. Um, like I said, we're going to try to have her on the show. But look, I mean, this is really where you can make a difference. I'm telling you, there aren't too many 
solid Republicans running for federal office. Um, I don't know how many good ones are running for state office. But I can tell you the DA races do matter. There is still the old guard that believe in law and order. Um, DAs, prosecutors, they understand what's going on in the streets. And there are those that are just extremely evil, evil, evil people um, funded by Soros. And, and this is that's where I would put my money. Um, one interesting thing just to note on that, again, I, I we, we could do shows every day, all day and only on just, you know, violent cr criminals being released and criminal aliens. I just want to highlight this case here. Um, ICE arrests, this from a press release from ICE, ICE arrests Guyanese national twice released with an active detainer following arrest for crimes against children. Uh, ICRO um, operation, the deportation officers arrested Garochawi Harachand, 43, Wednesday, October 9th. Harachand, a Guyanese national previously ordered removed from the U.S., was twice released from local law enforcement custody with an active detainer due to New York City's sanctuary policies. On March 6, 2019, Harachan was arrested by NYPD for the charges of sexual abuse, first contact with victim less than 13, sexual abuse second, I mean second degree, sexual contact with person less than 14 years old, sexual abuse third degree subject, another person to sex contact without consent, forcible touching, touch sexual intimate parts of another person, act in a manner injure child less than 17 years old, and aggravated harassment. Now, that's just a legal way of describing something that seems pretty uh, horrific. Um, ERO deportation officers lodged a detainer with local authorities on June 3rd. Harachan pleaded guilty to act in manner injured child and was sentenced to six months in custody. The detainer was not honored and Harachan was released from custody of the New York City Department of Corrections. On July 5th, Harachan was again arrested by NYPD for the charges of third-degree sexual abuse, subject to another person's sexual conduct with consent, forcible touching, act in a manner injured child less than 17, and harassment. Um, ERO lodged a detainer, but it was not honored, and he was released. The charge, those charges are currently pending. On October 9th, ERO deportation officers arrested him in South Richmond Hill, New York. What do you guys notice from this case, folks? What do you notice? So obviously, yes, New York City, um, they will release even child sex offenders, even twice, not cooperate with ICE. They're going to harbor the sex offenders of other countries' illegal aliens. And that's pretty bad. But notice something else. Let's say, okay, you know, nobody is illegal. Everyone's an American, fine. But, you know, let's say an American. I mean, shouldn't he get locked up? Notice how one time he was sentenced to six months, and then both times he was released, just released. Pre-trial. See, that's what I'm saying. I mean, even if you don't honor ICE detainers, why is he being released from local custody? Um, Daniel, uh, we, we're too strict on low-level offenses. I guess low-level offenses includes um, child sex. I, I, guess, I guess that's what it includes. <sighs> the, 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 there's a lot more to discuss, and man, I really wanted to get to the core. It's just 
one thing, you know, in terms of Homeland Security, obviously we all want Ken Cuccinelli to be DHS secretary. Um, Politico has an article out today that Mick Mulvaney is very concerned about his record on LGBTQ. And by the way, remember I warned you that there's going to be more uh, um, letters in alphabet soup, the N for nudity. Well, evidently, there's some places that have now legalized nudity. So that's a new identity that th- this is who I am. I mean, well, you know, who are you to judge? That's going to be ubiquitous within a couple of years um, based on where the left is heading and based on the fact that we have no backstop of an alternative vision to, to combat that because we have a phony Republican Party. But I digress. Um, here we have the president's chief of staff, who is a once reputed conservative, but really progressive libertarian from South Carolina. Um, he's concerned that Ken Cuccinelli wouldn't be good for DHS secretary because we're going to have too many issues with him because of his record on the homosexual agenda. Half measures. This is the problem again. For every good we have in this administration, gets taken away from you. Um. Let's see if we have time for this. Just want to close with one court case. Um, Last Friday, we did a show with Josh Hammer trying to demonstrate how the conservative Supreme Court is not conservative, how there's only one Clarence Thomas, Alito is the second, and between the other three, and that includes both of Trump's picks that were much vaunted and thought of as like the epitome of success, we can't even guarantee outcomes on anything. You know, a lot of Republicans are talking about the prospect of, oh, we're going to reverse Roe v. Wade. We're going to reverse all this bad precedent. Some think that we're going to go on offense and use the courts, not just as a shield, but as a sword to get five votes to strike down the left's bad legislation. You know, because we somehow have bought into this whole striking down notion rather than just fighting against the premise of judicial supremacism. And I, I, I'm going to have out an article today on the Malvo case. If you remember Lee Boyd Malvo, the D.C. sniper, that was very scary. A couple months after 9-11, where people were just dropping around the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, he killed a total of 17 people, I believe, injured 10, along with his senior partner, John Muhammad. Um, Muhammad was executed. Boyd, Lee Boyd Malvo got life without parole, and now they're appealing to, they're appealing that sentence. A lot of you need to understand, and and I'm kind of doing a rush job here, but I'll have an article out today. This is a perfect case study of why the courts are a one-way ratchet for the left. It's a one-way street and and a dead end for the right. Why the Democrat appointees are solid for the progressive agenda but the Republican appointees are anything but solid. Why the Democrats will not respect 200 years of precedent and they'll breach it. But once they breach it, the Republican conservative originalist will respect that breach as precedent. Folks, if you think that we're on the cusp of having anywhere near five votes to overturn bad precedent from the 1960s and 1970s, I have news for you that we don't even have anywhere near more than one or two votes at any given time to overturn the recent bad decisions over the past decade from Anthony Kennedy, where even 
Roberts was originally on the right side of, but now Roberts, along with Kavanaugh and Gorsuch to varying degrees, unless it's a nerdy libertarian issue he cares about, they're gonna they're not gonna do it. So basically, where does this Malvo case come from? Let me just build this for you um, in tranches. In 2005, in Roper v. Simmons, out of nowhere, um, and in a direct reversal of a 1989 case, Sanford v. Kentucky, um, they said that categorically, death penalty for those over 16 years old is unconstitutional, cruel and unusual punishment, because, as Anthony Kennedy wrote, are evolving standards of decency. So they engaged in a constitutional convention, unilaterally amended a practice that was there since our founding, and categorically, no matter what the person's like, no matter how much, you know, how many people are killed, could be a mass murderer, 17 years old, doesn't matter. You can never, ever execute anyone under 18. So a guy like Lee Malvo, who is responsible for the death of 17 people at the age of 17, it's not like he was 10. No. So that was that. Now, the same thing Kennedy did in the gay marriage case, like with Romer in 96, then Lawrence v. Texas in 2003, and then Windsor, and then finally Obergefell, he keeps insidiously saying, oh, this is okay, but this is not. Oh, well, actually, that's not okay either. Oh, well, actually, that's not okay either. Remember that? So he did that here too. 2010, they went on and said in uh, Graham v. Florida, you know what? Um, life in prison without parole Forget about death penalty, but even life without parole for a juvenile, you can't do it for anything but murder. So, like, for sex offenses, that's out. Okay. Two years later, 2012, they come back and say, well, actually, you know, even for murder, this is Miller v. Alabama, even for murder, Kennedy comes in and says, eh, um, I don't know. You know, you can't have mandatory sentencing for murder. Mandatory. In other words, you, there's some sort of process that the jury has to discover whether he's incorrigible or not. But you can't just have a mandatory sentence where the jury doesn't have to think about it. A conviction automatically trigger, triggers life without parole. You have to have some sort of other process. Okay. Fast forward to 2016 in Louisiana v. Montgomery, or Montgomery v. Louisiana, Montgomery case, they went and applied that retroactively to free uh, roughly or reopen the sentencing for 2,500 people that were convicted as juveniles to life without parole. And bizarrely, Roberts joined along with that. I mean, even though he didn't join along with the original thing, but once it was there, he agreed to apply retroactively because again, Roberts, he, and he's done that in many other cases, by the way, even where he, he was originally on the good side of once it's bad. So that's it. Now, that brings us to Malvo. Malvo, the um, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals said that falls under Montgomery. It's a juvenile life in prison without parole. Even though it wasn't mandatory, it wasn't like a, a law saying it was mandatory, but that's what they gave him. They said, well, in the, throughout the trial, they never really contemplated any solution below life without parole. It was either death penalty originally before Roper or life without parole. So they never really thought about the Miller requirements of whether he's incorrigible and whatever. So it needs to be remanded back. And Virginia appealed it to the Supreme Court. So we had oral arguments. Now, freeze frame right here. You, you would think, at a minimum, if we're going to talk about these originalist judges, 
We're not talking about your political position, whether you support death penalty or life without parole for juveniles. But if you're an originalist from a legal constitutional standpoint, to say that the Constitution precludes it, it should be a no-brainer that these five to four decisions where even Roberts originally was on the right side of, and it was just a problem of Anthony Kennedy, now that we replaced Anthony Kennedy, it should be a no-brainer that not just Montgomery and, and Miller, but even Graham and even Roper should be easily overturned. I mean, that, that, that's a no-brainer, right? I mean, yeah. Nope, not at all. Not at all. All the legal analysts believe Kavanaugh is the swing vote, even in the Malvo case, but even the other ones, they were all debating over the minutia whether the Malvo case met the requirements of Miller. But none of them seem to entertain that Miller is garbage. We have new judges on there and we're going to overturn that and we're going to overturn even Roper. This is a perfect case study. There's numerous cases just over the last 14, 13 years or so where even Roberts was on the right side of, and we're not going to overturn it. We're not going to overturn Hellerstat, much less Roe v. Wade. That's the Gosnell clinical regulations on abortion clinics. Um, Roberts was originally um, the right way. It was only Kennedy. But once it's there, he's going to respect it. Kavanaugh is going to respect it. Gorsuch, if it's not an issue he cares enough about to go bold on, which sometimes he does, he'll screw us too. There's, the belief is we only have Thomas and Alito who would overturn these cases. So you mean to tell me we're going to overturn bad precedent from the Warren era? <laughs> Give me a break. That's why this whole thing's been a scam. I laugh because the left, everyone knows, like the four liberal judges, if they were to get a fifth one, there would be no doubt about how they would rule on Heller. Just because it's there. Heck, I mean, do you know that Obergefell overturned the 1971 Minnesota case. I forgot what it's called. I'm blanking out here a minute. Um, but it was in Minnesota, 1971, on gay marriage. It was nine to nothing. It was unanimous opinion. They overturned it. Just like that. You know, 45 years, unanimous, done. We won't overturn a five to four from five years ago. From three years ago. That's the joke. They'll overturn 200 years of precedent on immigration. But once they create a novel idea, ah, oh, it's, it's, it's a roper, roper. What do you mean, roper? That is why the courts are irre irremediably broken. That's why judicial supremacism is irremediably broken. And the answer is not to play their game and say, oh, we'll win it. It's to say your game is illegitimate and the courts do not have the final say on, on what's the evolving standards of decency. That's what we have a political system for. Glad we covered a lot in the show. Still left a lot on the table. I'm going to be out for Tuesday's show. We're going to record Monday's show early again, and then I'll you know, be here for a number of months. Um, that will be it for my weaving in and out, I think. Um, although I do have a speaking engagement the following week. Um, but we'll try to make that up. Have a terrific weekend. God bless you all, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.